All right, welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today, as always, by Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells. We have a mostly NFL episode for you today as we recap and react to some of the best action from Week 7. We debate whether the Cowboys' beatdown of the Eagles leaves them in full control of the NFC East, if the Bears' season is already over following their loss to the Saints, and how highly we should view the Patriots' defense following yet another dominant performance. And in honor of Halloween, the three of us count down our favorite candies in today's top five. NFL episode, and we will be reacting to some of the biggest games of Week 7, particularly surrounding our weekly picks. And let's start off with the Sunday night football game, where the Dallas Cowboys entered having lost three in a row, and things were looking bleak, but they came out and blew out their division rival Philadelphia Eagles to take first place in the NFC East. Brian, how are you feeling about hand clapping, gum chewing Jason Garrett now? Uh, still the same as usual. I give the credit to the players more than the coach whenever they win, uh, especially when Amari Cooper uh, has any good games, especially how he played on Sunday night, score, uh, having over 100-plus uh, receiving yards, and was definitely him or Zeke were the two best players in that game. Yeah, the uh, the Eagles' defense prides itself on stopping the run, but they couldn't stop the run against the Cowboys. And their second, the Eagles' secondary is not good. So once the run defense fell apart, it all fell apart, and they couldn't stop anything. Now, and this this entire season for the Cowboys has made very little sense at this point, where they look so good one week and then terrible the next. They lost to the Jets last week, and now they come out and they blow out the Eagles. Now, last season on Sunday Night Football, a game played in Philadelphia when the Cowboys entered thinking that if they lose, Jason Garrett is out. They won the game, and that was the first of like an 8 out of 9 win stretch for them to end the season win the NFC East. So I kind of had a feeling something like that was going to happen. They had come out, saved their season, saved their coach potentially. And now we got to wonder, at this point, do the Cowboys actually have full control of this division? Yeah, I mean... At this point, you got to think that the Eagles are their best competition. The thing is, I don't, I know head to head, I like to choose the team that wins in a head to head matchup as the better team. I think that's the whole reason we play the game. Um, but you have to see how the rest of the season goes. The Cowboys, like you said, have been the a great example of inconsistency. So they could win this game and then go back to being, you know, Jets opposition quality. Um, the, the thing is, I don't know if we really saw this Eagles team because from the beginning, they were shooting themselves in the foot. Really, like, if you, if you take a look at this game, 
it, like a lot of times you hear like the tale of two halves um half of this game the eagles just destroyed themselves and that was the first quarter and the fourth quarter they were totally inept and got in their own way the cowboys credit to the cowboys defense they've been underachieving this season and they they were dominant in this game but it felt like the eagles just couldn't help themselves they kept on fumbling and getting in their own way um and it as much as this is a statement win, I feel like the Eagles could clean some things up and be a much better team next time, uh, you know, next time, next outing. It definitely doesn't help when you have two quick turnovers or two quick fumbles from Dallas Goddard and Carson Wentz in the first quarter. My biggest takeaways from this game are one, Doug Peterson definitely looks like an idiot for yeah. whatever guaranteeing talking whatever, all that whatever mess. How he, yeah, whatever how he calls it, um, saying that they were going to win on Sunday night. And the other takeaway I have is there's been a lot of blame on Carson Wentz for not just that game, but that for this season in particular, uh, I feel like the, the Eagles secondary has really, really been bad this year. And then their run defense has been great until Sunday night. And then his receivers haven't really given him that much help outside of week one. Uh, when Deshaun Jackson went off, I mean, week two, we saw Aguilar, go off but he had that huge drop in the fourth quarter and that could have helped them win the game and then we saw our sega white side uh against the lions in week three uh have that big drop in the end zone at the end of that game so they could easily be five and two right now if it wasn't for some pretty bad drops by the receivers and some poor play on the defensive side of the ball so i think it's just i i, I still think they're good and i think Wentz is still is, is still um still he's still the right guy for the job instead of Foles. I think Carson Wentz is the least of the Eagles' concerns right now. Like you said, they have problems everywhere else. Their receivers have had uh, troubles catching passes. Their running backs have been decent, but neither of Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders has necessarily broken out. And then uh, on the defensive side of the ball, we know how terrible their secondary is, and if their run defense isn't going to do them any favors, the Eagles are going to get blown out. So to me, it's not Wentz. I know it's easy to kind of say, oh, Nick Foles, you always have him, but... If you're the Eagles, I think they really do need to make a big move at the trade deadline if they want to turn around their season and go from being this, uh, you know, maybe they're good enough to win the NFC East, but they're not going to do anything from there to actually being a true NFC contender. And to me, Dallas, I feel like they have more of a complete roster already. They have all those stars. They're paying all these guys so much money. So you know they have a ton of talent. And, you know, every team could probably serve to add something here and there. But I think that is going to be a big factor in this. And then from there, it's just, is does Dallas develop themselves? They establish an identity. They get that kind of consistency. Because right now, it feels like the NFC East is theirs until the Eagles can make some kind of significant improvement. So I guess from there, let's uh, move on to our next matchup. And that was America's Game of the Week, where the New Orleans Saints, they blew out the Bears. I know it was 36-25. The Bears scored a couple late touchdowns to make that game look respectable. But the Bears are horrible. And I'm going to come out and say it. I think the Bears are done. I think they're done. I think the NFC North is way too good this year. And it hurts for me to say that because I was so big on the Chicago team 
back on our NFC North preview, I said Mitchell Trubisky would be a deserving pro bowler this year. I thought the Bears were not just a Super Bowl contender, but I thought they would actually make it to the Super Bowl. But their offense is a train wreck, and their defense is just hasn't been able to support it when they've been asked to do literally everything. So to me, Chicago, it, it's done. And it's unfortunate for them, but after how much success they had last season, but I, I think that it's almost back to the drawing board. Yeah, I want – they put a lot of draft capital into Mitch Trubisky. They put a lot – they said, this is our guy. In the classic comparisons, Mahomes and Watson weren't up to the caliber of quarterback that the Chicago Bears wanted. They wanted elite talent. They wanted top two talent. They wanted Mitch Trubisky. What a waste. That is a terrible pick. Mitch Trubisky is a, a bad quarterback. Like, they were almost – I mean – I'm no expert, but they weren't worse uh, when he was injured. Like him coming back was almost to the detriment of this offense. And they have a good head coach. They have decent talent on the offense, enough like weapons, I would argue, that Matt Nagy's offense should run. And then they have a amazing defense. So it's all there. They just don't need someone who's totally incompetent running the show. And that's what Mitch Trubisky is. Like their defense is still elite. I know that, I mean, the Saints are a very good offense, uh, even with Teddy Bridgewater. But you're you're going to drop off when you play three quarters of the game. When your offense can't stay on the field and your defense is gassed the whole time, having to go on these extended drives, trying to trying to get another stop and give your offense another chance. I mean, the Saints were, were having so much success with these shorter fields and they, I mean, they, also they have a good defense as well, but it just makes the Bears defense almost not a factor when they're just on the field this much. Yeah, if you guys haven't figured out if I like or dislike Mitch Trubisky, go back and listen to the past 17 episodes <laughs> and then you'll, you'll, you'll know my, my opinion on Trubisky. I mean, I'll, I'll just say what you guys have been saying just recently. I mean, yeah, the, they have plenty of talent, especially on on their defense they probably have outside of the patriots and a couple other teams they're one of the they have one of the best defenses in the league and they have enough playmakers on offense I, i'm definitely a big al robinson fan uh i think david montgomery and Tariq cohen are good enough running backs one being a pure runner and one being a pure pass catcher and yeah it's really just the the obvious weakness on their team is their bad quarterback play and I think it's time to move on Um, once the season ends, find the next guy. You know, I I don't know if it's as simple as saying it's all on Trubisky because to me, the the biggest loss for the Bears was Vic Fangio as a defensive coordinator. And I think that we've almost gave Matt Nagy too much credit last season for how good that Bears team was because – I don't know if the defense would be just as dominant last year with the poor offensive play, but who do you turn to for the offensive play? It's Matt Nagy, the offensive guru. Why are the Bears not running the ball? Why is Mitchell Trubisky throwing 54 passes in a football game? I think that the the Bears have a lot more problems, and they really need to figure out just who they are and what they've done. Like their GM, Ryan Pace, is certainly someone who could lose his job. I don't know if Nagy should have uh, be fired after the season, but that's certainly something that could be discussed if the Bears continue to struggle. I think Chicago has had a ton of expectations based on last season, and the, the few losses they had on defense with 
their coordinator being the the biggest of them is really exposing the the rest of that team for who they are. And it, it's really bad because this Bears team has a kicker and Eddie Pinheiro. I know Ben wanted to be anti Eddie Pinheiro, but he's been solid. If they had him last year, who knows where that Bears team goes in the playoffs. And or you know, this Elliot year, Fry. You know, he'd probably yeah, be doing just right. as good if not better. Yeah, I, I would I would like to think so, but that being said, it's like they don't have Cody Parkey as their kicker. And it's it's just so disappointing for this team, at least from my perspective. I feel like I was one of the biggest Bears supporters, biggest Trubisky supporters outside of Chicago. But they've just let me down. Yeah, I you're right. It's never as simple as one thing, but it's just such a colossal miss on Mitch Trubisky. And we've seen enough of him. Obviously, there's always, you know, there's always time to improve. But what we've seen from him is just, kind of being inept the one thing that i always thought mitch trubisky had that was like flashy or impressive was he can sometimes be pretty squirrely back there in the in the pocket he can kind of scramble around but other than that i would say he's pretty lackluster and he missed some pretty wide open throws in this game and yeah like you said garbage time points like it would that's basically the entirety of his stats was the yards and points they picked up late in the game when it didn't matter but when it mattered he was a waste of you just a uh, blow in the game. I've said it before in the past. I just want to know like what scout or coach or whomever looked out to Trubisky during the during the combine or whatever or other other sessions saw like hey let's draft this guy let's let's trade up to get this guy and not get uh, Patrick Mahomes or um, national championship winning quarterback Deshaun Watson. Uh, it amazes me that. Uh, someone actually thought that was a good idea I, I think the craziest part about it though is if you like go back to that draft and at least on draft night how much ridicule the bears would have gotten had they actually taken mahomes or watson at number two because there are a lot of people who thought that mahomes and watson at 10 and 12 were a bit of a reach and that it was crazy that the chiefs and the texans uh partially mortgaged their future for those guys and it's just you know, they are obviously are proving that they knew what they were doing and it's it just shows you that you can never really predict things uh, when it comes to draft picks. And it's it just gotten so bad in Chicago that I think last night at the Blackhawks game, the I don't know what they, they call him, but like one of the in-stadium reporters at the United Center was interviewing some like little six-year-old kid. And she asked him what he was going to be for Halloween. And he said a Bears player. And when they asked what Bears player, he said Trubisky. And all the fans started booing the little kid. That's how bad things wow, are. Dude. Oh, no. Bears, right? Yeah. I didn't know about that. Yeah. 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 Like, can you imagine? That's, that's like That's like Philadelphia sports fans bad. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I think that the Bears are in a position where they could maybe consider adding a quarterback at this trade deadline. I don't know if the options are that much better than Trubisky, but maybe it's worth a gamble looking at, say, like Marcus Mariota of the Titans, see if he's even you know remotely a, an upgrade over Trubisky. But yeah, I think things are looking bad in Chicago right now. And on the flip side, the Saints are looking really good. Oh, yeah. And I, I think the Saints are the best team in the NFC. 
You know, George Kittle's the best tight end, but the Saints are the best team in the NFC right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I tend to agree <laughs> with that, especially once they get Drew Brees back. But not to put any disrespect on Teddy Football's name, um, I actually was reminded this week that back in college when Johnny Manziel and, and Teddy Bridgewater were running college football, they were like the top two quarterbacks, you know, the ones that the media loved, the media darlings. Um, I you, didn't know college football very well, and I got them mixed up, and I accidentally called Teddy Bridgewater Teddy Football uh, because I thought that he was I got him and Johnny football confused. But at this point, who's really who really deserves that moniker? Who really is like that guy? And I'm sure he will only add to this argument as time progresses. But he was really Teddy football out there this week. And he's been that guy ever since he got his opportunity. And I and you know what? We love to see it. I love when Manzel and Bridgewater had their QB days. Manzel put on a show like with I mean, no, no pass rush or anything, just throwing to guys indoors. And Bridgewater had the same thing, but he didn't wear his glove. So he looked bad, like, because he's, <laughs> he's more comfortable with the glove than without it. He looked really bad in his session. So everyone was crapping on him and everyone's like talking up Johnny. Uh, and then, like you said, Ben, like now it's pretty obvious one, uh, one guy is not even in the league and then the other is kind of killing it, even though he's a backup quarterback. Oh, yeah. Not uh, forever though. And he will, he's no. making his case. We, we talked about Bridgewater last week, and none of us said that the Saints should keep him as their quarterback. I think we all still agree Drew Brees is their quarterback when he comes no, back. No, Bre- Brees should still be the guy. It's just that Bridgewater is definitely, or at least in my opinion, he's played better than I expected. I mean, in that Rams game is a little unfair because you don't really expect to come into, that, come into the game, but then all of a sudden Brees actually ends up getting hurt, and then you're kind of just thrown into the fire, and then uh, and he looked really, really bad in that game, but... Uh, ever since then, he's been very, very good. A good game manager and uh, is definitely capable of leading the Saints. Do you guys see that throw uh, he made to Michael Thomas rolling left over the defenders? He just kind of dropped it right in there. It was it was like a very wow play. It was one of those ones where you're like, not every quarterback, most quarterbacks can't make that throw. And Teddy Bridgewater did it. I, I'm, he's, I know he's been like part of the system. The saints have a great offense and, and, you know, a lot of quarterbacks would do well in that situation. But I, what we've seen from this small sample size from Teddy Bridgewater gives me a lot of faith in him moving forward as actually being a starter level, like top 16 quarterback in the league type of guy moving forward. Once, once he gets his opportunity to fully be the, that guy, once he's not the backup. Honestly, now that we're saying this, maybe this isn't the last time we see Teddy Bridgewater win at Soldier Field this season because Drew Brees is thinking he might play this week against the Cardinals. Regardless, they have a bye and he'll he'll be back week 10. Maybe Teddy Bridgewater plays one final game and then at the deadline, the Bears give up a first round pick for him. Uh, my god so I, I did say i did say last week cam newton if uh if he's gonna come the, back the, the thing is you look at some of these other quarterbacks they're injured you don't know what their health is and they're not going to be healthy by the time the trade deadline presumably you know that teddy's healthy so and you know, give him a shot I, I don't know if he's really worth first round pick knowing he'll be a free agent at the end of the season but that could be a, a potential possibility there if the bears want to go out and upgrade or at least potentially upgrade their quarterback situation please don't do that uh, to my man let him stay in New Orleans. Let him inherit the franchise when Drew Brees retires, please. Like I would rather. See. When is he gonna retire though? It's a, good, I think no, it's, it's a, it's a valid question. I, we don't know. Uh, Drew Brees is still playing yeah. at a high level, but that would be the ideal situation, just because we've already seen how good mm-hmm. he is with these uh, New Orleans Saints. Absolutely. 
Uh, another thing to mention, uh, what Ben was talking about, about Michael Thomas. I mean, the fact that he's been playing this well with not only Drew Brees, but also Teddy Bridgewater shows you that uh, whether he's playing with a starter or the backup, he's still one of the best, if not the best receiver in football. He's a monster. Yeah, so I guess uh, before we move on from the Saints, I guess a little transition into our next team. The only difference between the Saints and the Patriots right now is the schedule. Because the Patriots have played nobody, and the Saints have played a lot of teams. Their only loss was against the Rams. What, what are you talking about? They played the Redskins and Dolphins. Two of the yes, elite right, like, in the NFL. And then <laughs> this week they play the Jets, and they, they embarrass them on Monday Night Football in the Meadowlands. And yeah, the Patriots have looked really good. But how much how much credit can we give them right now just knowing the sample size of the teams they've played, particularly the offenses, <laughs> whether it's Luke Falk or Sam Darnold in New York, uh, Colt McCoy in Washington, Daniel Jones with the Giants, and injured Ben Roethlisberger in the Steelers? So the offense, I still have questions for, uh, especially with Josh Gordon now being ruled out for the season. But no matter who they play, whether if it's complete garbage like they've played all year or later in the season when they play some pretty good teams, uh, I'm a huge believer in their defense. Their defense is no joke. Uh, they first, they've been forcing turnovers all year, and uh, it was did not surprise me whatsoever that Sam Darn looked as... Maybe it surprised me a little bit that he was that bad, but it didn't surprise me that he turned over the ball multiple times. They hadn't times. seen ghosts out there. Oh yeah. my gosh! <laughs> Ooh, Halloween is coming up. Uh, well, we can talk about that in a second, but, but I just want to comment on this Patriots schedule. You can only play the teams that are on your schedule. You can't like the Patriots weren't like, oh, sorry, we're gonna pass on playing the good teams so that we, our defense can look better. They're just playing the teams that they're playing, and you can't really do better than their defense has done. So, if anything, you can reserve judgment if you want. But for anyone to even slander this defense at all is is out of their mind because there's no evidence to say that they're anything but good. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I'm not trying to say they don't have a great defense. I still think it's the best defense in the league, but in terms of the greatness type of aspect, I'd like to see what they do against higher caliber offenses. And I'm not going to tell you that they're the 85 Bears. Yeah, but that's like everyone that. saying the 85 but, Bears, but, 2000 Ravens. But, like. but they're they're an amazing defense. I mean, Stephon Gilmore is probably the best corner in the league. Devin McCourty is having an amazing year. Same with Kyle Van Noy and Dante Hightower. They, they're, they, they've they been basically perfect this year. So their defense is legit. I just have more questions about their offense, uh, especially the receiving core. But now that they got Mohamed Sanu in as a perfect com- complimentary slot guy for Brady to throw to, uh, I'm still, I don't want to say super high on their offense, but I think they're I'm high on them being good enough to uh, advance in the playoffs and possibly win another. Well, Be- how do you? F- well, Belichick recognizes their uh, the competition they've been going up against as well. Did you guys see the clip of him congratulating the team in the locker room after the Jets' victory? No. He um, his victory speech lasted about eight seconds. He was like, "You guys had a great game. I'm really proud of you." But the Browns have already practiced, so we're way behind them. It's time to get to work. Like he like totally just. <laughs> glazes over the fact that they just annihilated the jets on national television and it's wow. like did, Let's did, you, did you see the did you see the two decline penalties yes. on that punt play he smiled and 
All of a sudden, all of a sudden, yeah, he was. I actually, <laughs> he was smiling. Thing. I yeah. saw that in the sense where I heard about it on Twitter. I actually don't know what was going on. Somebody made the accusation that he was um, exploiting a loophole in the rules to burn the clock. Do you guys know anything about this? Yeah, because because the time, even though there the penalty occurred, the time, the the clock, it's it still goes down. So like a, a, over a minute of play clock was wasted on just. Just sitting uh, there. So, yeah. He's a he did, genius. He did exploit a loophole. <laughs> That's exactly what you should do in that situation when you're destroying the Jets on Monday night. Play as little football as possible and, you know, lower the risk of injuring your guys. He could, he could, they could have kicked a 50-yard field goal, but instead they decided uh, to, because he wanted, really wanted the shutout and just embarrass the Jets, he decided, you know what, I'm going to punt here at the 33-yard line. You have to respect it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's not. It's generally not a bad strategy when you have the game in hand already, and you're just trying to make sure no one gets an unnecessary injury. But I mean, I have no idea what happened because I turned the game off at the 14 minute mark of the second quarter when uh, <laughs> the they had that that strip sack that or they ruled it a fumble initially on the field. I turned it off, and then I, I found out that it got turned turned over later. But yeah, at that point, I was like, this is embarrassing, just how bad the Jets are playing. And the defense kind of stepped it up later in the game, but it was just a free-for-all for that Patriots defense when it came to just harassing Sam Darnold all night. And, yeah, uh, that... How, how, do you, how do you feel if you're a Jets fan or a Jets player where you're coming off a big win versus Dallas? Like, oh, man, we got Darnold back. We're, our playoff hopes right? are still alive. And then all of a sudden... And then all of a sudden, they, they just... The, the narrative about Darnold changed so quickly in just eight days. It's yeah. it's unreal. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't really know. It's like, I like to think that Darnold has some potential in this league. But when you come out and do that, I know he's facing an elite defense. But on national television, you're going to have to be able to put up at least some respectable numbers. So See, I've, I've talked about this in the past where you guys like Josh Rosen and I don't really. But at the same time, like, how can we know how good he is if he's if he's playing with the t- two stone worst teams in the league and the Cardinals and Dolphins. And then the same thing with Darnold. I mean, yeah, he has probably better playmakers on his team, but he doesn't really have the coach to go with it. So, look, Baker Mayfield, he has Freddie Kitchens. Uh, Rosen, he has uh, a rookie head coach. And Darnold, he has Adam Gase, who's proven to be not very good. So no matter what we think of these guys, how good can they be if they have incompetent head coaches uh, leading them so and another thing i hated from from monday like donald's coming off a big win his confidence is up and he's talking about how yeah the patriots defense is good but they're not unbeatable and then all of a sudden it's prime time versus the best defense in the league and you decide hey let's have him mic'd up for the game your rookie franchise quarterback is mic'd up and now and then he, all of a sudden after his third turnover he's like oh i'm i'm seeing ghosts out there and just embarrassing him in front of everybody like how does like, just put just throwing the kid under the bus like that i just hated the jets are so stupid okay I'm but sorry. Here, i looked into this um and and to how that works i was like that's probably the worst thing i've ever heard a mic'd up player say and and i know that nfl players are down there like cursing at each other so how can we never hear that? How can we never hear some of the other terrible things they say? That's because uh, the NFL films guys who put the mics on them decide what they're going to broadcast. They get to give it clearance to be broadcast. So somebody at NFL Films said, this will be funny. Oh, we'll get him with this one. And I, d- I disagree with that choice. And maybe in the heat of the moment, it's like a judgment call, whatever. Uh, but I think they did my man Sam dirty. 
because uh, he's already so, getting embarrassed, and they're, you're gonna you're gonna give him something like that that's gonna make him sound like such a clown. Yeah, I actually heard specifically that it's not even just NFL films, isn't it? Each the, team has their own PR person to approve those things, and the Jets yeah. just didn't have one. Wasn't that oh. the part of it? Wow. It was like I'm, normally I'm not... you can overrule it, say, yeah, no, you can't do this, but they, the Jets just didn't have one for whatever reason. I don't know if that was their choice or what, but they didn't have the option of say, no, don't put this on TV like other teams do. So It's just so stupid they put a mic on their well, – their franchise and, and honestly basically you can make all the you can you know it's up to you to judge whose fault it is that the jets did that poorly i mean honestly i think that they're just overmatched against a really good patriots defense but also that offensive line is not doing him any favors these zero blitzes that bill oh, belichick was, was loading up yeah you're supposed to you're sending one more guy than the offensive line has to block okay which means that the blitz is going to get there very quickly. You're going to have to uh, get the ball out as soon as possible. But only one guy should come free. When the Jets were lining up yeah, against that, that. How does Adam Gase not realize, like, oh, my God, you can actually blitz well, in the league? Well, yeah, no but the, it, maybe it's Adam Gase. Maybe it's just their offensive line. Because I like, And I watched like a breakdown. Uh, this guy, Brett Coleman, on YouTube is a really great like football analyst, and he makes these breakdown mm-hmm. videos. And he was explaining how the... Uh, you're supposed to shift the offensive line so that everybody at least gets one blocker. Because you, when you see the zero blitz coming, you know someone's coming free. Um, it, but you should make it so that only one guy comes free. Sam Darnold can focus on getting the ball around that guy or uh, you know out before that guy gets there. But you should, oh, you should be able to do that. Instead, th- there were multiple Jets linemen who were teaming up on one guy and allowing like two or three rushers to go through. Sam Darnold was gonna die. Like they, they were doing him zero favors. And uh, so, as much as it, it is, you know, on the quarterback to make these plays, his cor- his offensive line left him out to dry many times, and it resulted in turnovers. Yeah, throwing off your back foot multiple times for interceptions is definitely not good. But like you said, just poor all-line play, poor coaching. And you have pretty good weapons, but then when you're facing a secondary that has Gilmore and others, it's it's a you know, rep- recipe the for The Patriots disaster. don't zero blitz on everybody. They zero blitz when they know they can, and they knew they could against the Jets, and Sam Darnold got destroyed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that was just uh, not not a pretty performance by the Jets offensive linemen, and I I don't know. I think moving forward, there's opportunities for New York to improve. We saw that they could beat a competent football team in the Dallas Cowboys, uh, but that was just an all around pathetic performance by them. And I think it's it's fair to say that the Jets, uh, unlike in our AFC's preview, will not catch the Patriots this year and win this division. I blame it on the the injuries early in the season, threw the whole thing off. You know, losing Sam Darnold early, losing C.J. Mosley. Yeah, saying that the Jets could potentially go 500 it was just not a good prediction. <laughs> no, no. Uh, let's anyway. Let's let's move on now, and uh, let's let's talk about the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers' perfect passer rating this week against the Oakland Raiders, and. Green Bay is looking really good this year, and their their offense, despite having some question marks as wide receiver, no Devontae Adams, they had a couple guys that were will they, will they not play, and that didn't slow down Rodgers from having a phenomenal game, and the Packers are sitting pretty at 6-1 and one on top of the NFC North. Um, put some respect on my man Aaron Rodgers' name. Everybody's ready to crown, um, you know, 
the new generation of quarterbacks as the elite guys and, and forget about the oldsters. Uh, Tom Brady's a game manager now. Drew Brees has a broken hand. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is always getting injured. He's still a generational freaking talent and capable of pulling something like this out on any given Sunday. And and honestly, as a like Aaron Rodgers supporter, I freaking I love to see it because uh, he can be that one man army. It's the reason why I always feel like no matter what, I got to give the Packers a chance. You know, any year could be that year because Aaron Rodgers has to catch fire and then good luck stopping the Packers. I have no idea what to think of the Packers because they they did look good on Sunday, but they were facing the Oakland Raiders, and I have no idea what to think of that. And then their defense as well. I mean, yes, their defense has started out great, but if Derek Carr doesn't fumble at the end zone and he doesn't throw a bad interception in the end zone later in the game, we could have had a much closer game as well. So I have no idea what to think of their team. But like you said, guys, they, they scored 42 points, and they did it without Devontae Adams, and they did it with a banged-up uh, Valdez Scanling and Geronimo Allison. So uh, I'm probably higher on their offense than their defense, even though their defense has played better. But um, they look like a team that could make the playoffs or win the division, but I don't know how much further than that yet. So it's the Packers are definitely the team that I have the most questions for. Oakland did beat the Bears, and we're coming off a of bye week. So uh, you're talking about division rivaled right there. I, I do want to give Green Bay credit for this game. I know that the Raiders definitely shot themselves in the foot a couple times. Yeah, your favorite but... rule got used in this one, Corey. We all know how much you oh love God. the rule yeah. of the touchback. <laughs> no, that is that, it's, the, it's the worst rule in football. I, That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, I was like, oh, Corey. Like, I wonder what Corey's <laughs> thinking about this play. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was awful. Like uh, When that happened, because I, I was watching Red Zone, so it was cycling through the games. I'm, I'm texting my brother, who's a Texans fan, about the Texans game, and then that happens, and all of a sudden I'm like, Worst rule in football is about to get called in Green Bay. And then from there, it's like, oh, they said, oh, maybe they can't call it. But they're like, no, it overturn it. It's, it just doesn't make sense to me how when you're, like, diving for the end zone like that, you lose the ball, and it's like, oh, sorry, it's a defense's ball now. I understand penalizing someone for fumbling like that, but it, it just – I just don't understand it. I don't know. <laughs> well, and there's some supporters of the rule, but it's just, it's so dumb. Um, Derek Carr just needs to stop it, though. He did the exact same play in 2017. Yeah, right. So he needs to learn, you know? I, I can understand being frustrated with the rule, but once you know that it's a rule, just stop being exploited by the rule. And Derek Carr is determined to always be exploited by that rule. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's that's fair. Is it? He shouldn't have done that. He should have known better. But yeah, it's just one of those things where I'm like, if I'm a Packers fan right now, I don't even want the ball. Like this is, we don't deserve it. But uh, that, yeah, that's. Uh, I I could go on a rant about that rule for <laughs> forever. <laughs> so let's. Uh, you know, I, I guess before we talk about the Packers, I do think it's a shame that we're most likely not going to see Aaron Rodgers versus Patrick Mahomes. Uh, knowing they play this week on Sunday Night Football, Mahomes with his dislocated kneecap is out three to five weeks and. Who knows if Rodgers will still be playing four years from now. Now, obviously, there's still a possibility, but there's there's definitely a real chance that we're never going to get to see a quarterback who is one of the most talented of all time go up against a guy who is looking like he could be just as, if not better than him. So, um, Well, actually, just to while we're talking about Mahomes, Adam Schefter today uh, tweeted... Less than one week after he dislocated his kneecap, Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes is back at today. So decipher that and find out whatever that means because uh, 
he later well he followed up by saying <laughs> back at practice yeah um but also adam <laughs> Schefter, he's guilty of of mistweeting a couple times because he also um had a little bit of a, a snafu reporting the trade for the uh the rams when they got jalen ramsey he miss he accidentally said that they got um the best cornerback in the league um but stefan gilmore was not in, involved in that trade at all so it was just like a big another big mistake from him yeah, Shefty is just—he's just trying to be the first one to those uh, those reports, and he, he just slips up with his tweets like yeah, that. Yeah, you know? yeah, typo. It happens, but you know, he's gotta when you got a response. A lot of power comes with a lot, a lot of responsibility. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know we we don't want to talk too much about the Chiefs, but Kansas City would be insane to play Patrick Mahomes on Sunday night. That's what I was just about to go back to. I mean, like whatever happens with Mahomes, like make sure that he's one hundred and thousand percent or thousand percent healthy before you put him back out there because he's not only the face of the team he's the face of the mm-hmm, league mm-hmm. so uh keep him as healthy as possible and, and not if you're if you're a football fan you want that man to get healthy yeah, yeah and it, i mean i would love the matchup i mean i'm even though i'm a Patriots fan I, i'm a i'm a big rogers fan but you got i i would have loved the matchup but no keep Mahomes healthy uh and wait for him to come back yeah, I, I think that the Chiefs are in a position at 5-2 and two on top of the AFC West with none of their rivals in that division looking like potential playoff teams that they don't need to rush back Patrick Mahomes and that they can feel okay about starting Matt Moore for three or four games if they need to. So I just hope that they make the right decision because it, it would be a shame if we actually do have that worst-case scenario with Patrick Mahomes and lose him for much longer than we are expected to. So... Uh, with that, let's move on to the next matchup. And, you know, I I feel like I shouldn't be mad at Ben about the 49ers <laughs> only winning by nine points when I had them as my lock at minus 10 <laughs> because of the sloppy field. But yet I, I still can't feel or I, I can't avoid this anger that, that I, I was all in on the Niners and then they somehow don't cover against the Redskins. I, I got to just put all the blame on the weather for this one. It was a mess out there there were standing pools of water on the field and you would like to see the 49ers offense do well against such a bad defense well against such a bad team their d-line is still legit um but yeah a team that the niners definitely could have scored more points on uh they looked really bad in the first half and then got things together in the second half but um really this was just an opportunity for the defensive line to go out there and play against an offensive line that literally doesn't have solid ground underneath them and just eat all day the Redskins offense never looked like they had a chance in this game and the Niners defense looks solid once again uh you know everybody's got in your fantasy league the 49ers defense is definitely not available uh which is bizarre because <laughs> the last few years the Niners defense has been absolutely irrelevant they're, they're the type of team where it was like well you know he, this this offense sucks but they're going against the Niners so definitely use them as a streamer like use everybody they've got because they're going to destroy the Niners and now it's so bizarre that we just go out there and get a shutout a week after only allowing seven points against the Rams and back-to-back weeks where the opposition quarterback had less than 100 yards back-to-back weeks that's crazy uh so I honestly don't feel like there's that much you can draw from this game. The rain really made it from uh, like a game of NFL football into like a backyard mud bowl. Uh, but the Niners still came out with the victory. I was just about to say the same thing as Ben. I feel like I learned nothing from this game. I mean, the Niners defense, like we said last week, is legit. 
And like I said last week, I don't know what to think of that about their offense, but they do have a great coach or who can put up good offensive schemes. And they have a good quarterback who, even though he's been a sidecar this entire year, he's it looks. I think he can still be capable of being a uh, a good quarterback in the league. And yeah, like like we said last week, their defense is legit, and they look like a playoff team. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I don't know how mad I can be about this one. I should have take checked the weather report on Friday uh, <laughs> to know that it was going to be a monsoon. Uh, but for, for still missed by a point. <laughs> like, well, I know, and that's that's just a frustrating thing. It was six nothing, and uh, Scott Hansen saying, "Oh, well, you know, what are the Niners going to do here? It's fourth down. They could kick a field goal and win it." But he, you know, what Kyle Shanahan said about the coaching for the Redskins. Uh, so I was like, "Oh, I gotta go for it and run in a touchdown." Just uh, would not do it, which would have been great for me because in one of my leagues, I started Tevin Coleman and Matt Burita, thinking, "Oh, they're going to run all over the Redskins," and even in the rain, they couldn't do that. So. Yeah, it's just one of those games where you you're right. You can't draw too much out of this. I mean, the fact that Robbie Gould went three for four on field goals yes, in that weather is correct. kind of impressive, considering how atrocious he's been this season. Considering that he was like making those like trade demands and stuff. Yep. In the off yep. season. So and holding out. Yeah, he's yeah, missed maybe, a game. He's missed a field mm. goal in every single game this season for the 49ers, which is very troubling after he was so accurate last year. But just one final yep. thing I think we have to talk about while we're talking about the 49ers is obviously the trade for Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, the 49ers sent a third and fourth round draft pick from next year in exchange for Emmanuel Sanders and a fifth rounder. And it's something somebody with experience to catch the ball for Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, who's not named George Kittle, okay? And um, honestly, I would still like to believe that this young core could emerge and become a more productive unit, but uh, somebody threw out a stat earlier this week that Chris Godwin alone has more receiving yards than all of the 49ers wide receivers combined. Um, Chris Godwin is a very good wide receiver, second most receiving yards in the league, but still, that shouldn't happen. Um, He's also like the same age as all of the 49ers receivers, too. Right. And the the thing is, this makes us, this is officially, if, if people didn't think this before, uh, we're officially in win now. The, the 49ers are willing to, uh, to use a phrase Corey used earlier, to mortgage some part of their future in order to commit to winning this season. And Emmanuel Sanders is a little bit old. He's in a contract year, and it's, it's going to need to be instant production from him if it's going to make this trade worth it. I was a, I'm a big Manny Sanders fan, and I was actually hoping that the Patriots would get him uh, instead of Mohamed Sanu. But I mean, I still like Mohamed Sanu, uh, even though that was kind of an overpay. But I guess the one thing to worry about Manny Sanders is that he had a torn Achilles last year, and he's been a little bit unhealthy this season, but still a great pickup. And like you said, their receivers, outside of George Kittle, who isn't even technically a receiver, he's a tight end. Uh, outside of him, they their wide receivers really haven't been that great this year. So it's definitely an improvement uh, by getting Manny Sanders. Injuries are certainly a a risk with Sanders, but if you compare him to, say, A.J. Green uh, as another receiver on the market who's a veteran who could have been a big factor, he hasn't played at all this season, and he's probably going to cost you more than a third and a fourth-round pick, potentially a first-rounder. So if that's the case, and I think it's worth trying your luck with Sanders and hoping that he can make it through the rest of the season. Yeah, I think it's much better to get Sanders rather than A.J. Green, especially since A.J. Green is also unhealthy. And another thing is he he talked about how he wants to be like Larry Fitzgerald, where he wants to stay with uh, the same team his entire career, even though the Bengals are lousy. Part of me 
admires that, but the same t- at the same time, part of me thinks like maybe you just don't want to leave and learn a new playbook, and you're just kind of lazy. So I, I I don't know. I did, I'm not the biggest Adrian Green fan. I I think Manny Sanders is a better upgrade uh, uh, at the position. I'll take it. I honestly um, I, I tweeted out uh, at right after this trade uh, because to tell you the truth. Like I said, I kind of was hoping that our guys would would emerge, but I, I said, I've decided to personally endorse Sanders going forward. Many people think he's too old, but he's been consistent for many years, and I think he's just the kind of change we need. He really caught my eye in 2016, and I can't wait to see him catch passes for the 49ers. Um, kind of a misdirect there to make people think I was being political. Excellent. But I, but Excellent I, I truly tweet. am actually endorsing him. Uh, I'm going to fully support this move because it means that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch believe that we have the roster to to win, uh, to to win to go all the way. So let's do it. Yeah, and I, I definitely think that the 49ers need to view themselves as one of the best teams in the NFC. And just look at the Bears from last season. They went 12 and four, and it's like, oh, this team is great, and they're going to be great forever. And it's six games into year two, and we're already questioning so many things about that team. So if you're the 49ers, while you're 6-0, and keep it up. Keep going for it, knowing that the NFC has some other very talented teams that you're going to have to beat in the playoffs. So great move by them. Uh, let's move on now to the, the next matchup. And you know, I don't know how many people really care about my picks in this thing that we're doing that really has no value other than bragging rights but i've been doing terrible this year and this was another brutal loss for me with going with the chargers as an upset over the titans they were plus two and a half and they lost by three but they had a chance to win like three times in the final minute and they kept being ruled short of the goal line before Melvin Gordon fumbled it and Tennessee recovered and won the game. I just, I could not believe it. There were multiple times where I'm looking at the game cast on my phone and seeing that the Chargers were winning, yet they weren't kicking the extra point. I'm like, what is going on in this one? And the first time I was like, oh, well, maybe them not scoring is actually better for the Chargers because they'll bleed even more time off the clock. And that turned out not to be true. And now the Chargers are 2-5 and five and... Like I said last week, they're not a great football team, and I should have known better. I mean, you said you were surprised. Uh, I mean, the Chargers lose in the, the like the worst ways possible, and and that past game is just even more proof of that. Like they get to the they get to the goal line, Eckler scores, and then all of a sudden that doesn't count. Then and, and then Melvin gets in, but then all of a sudden uh, the next play. He, fumbles and then that's the game and they lose by what was it you had it was plus two and a half it was plus two and a half and, and they lost by three and <laughs> yeah that is the that's, definition that's, of a that's bad so beat. brutal yeah that's yeah the chargers are just a disaster yeah they, for uh for me uh they're the 2018 vikings they're a team that on paper should be winning football games but they find a way to lose and uh i think at this point we can feel confident in that yeah, and I, I definitely did not feel great about the Chargers heading into the season, uh, given that they went 12-4 and last year and things went perfectly, which has never happened for this Chargers team. You had Derwin, Derwin James go out with an injury. Their uh, star safety last year, defensive rookie of the year, hasn't even played yet, and by the time he shows up, it feels like this team is already dead. You know, AFC certainly has question marks outside of the you know the Patriots and then maybe you throw the Chiefs and the Bills up there uh, but after that you know I guess the, the Ravens as well after they beat Seattle this week but there's certainly an opportunity for two and five to become a playoff team but this Chargers team does not look like one right now and it's the same thing every single game Phillip Rivers playing down in the fourth quarter trying to lead a comeback and so far this season he has not been able to pull it off 
and they beat the Colts because Adam Vinatieri couldn't make field goals and extra points, and they beat the Dolphins, and that's all they have to show for this season. They've lost a lot of close, disappointing games, and yeah, the Chargers are done with this at this point. They play the Bears this week. Maybe Mitchell Trubisky will uh, get a chance to prove that he's a great quarterback against the Chargers and pull out a victory. Who can be more inept? Oh, man, I can't wait for that game. I mean, I remember, I remember a couple weeks ago, like, I couldn't wait for the Redskins-Dolphins game, the, the biggest loser fest ever. I mean, the Chargers and Bears have been probably, or arguably, the two most disappointing yeah, teams this year. Absolutely. So now we get to see the biggest disappointment of a a showdown and see who if the falcons could somehow also get involved then yeah it really would be (laughs) (laughs) the biggest disappointment Uh, i forgot about that all right so let's uh let's start talking about some some good teams teams who have exceeded expectations and i think the team that you can overall say has exceeded expectations more than anyone is indianapolis colts because their franchise quarterback retired three weeks before the season started, yet here they are, 4-2 and two, on top of the AFC South after beating the Houston Texans this week. And I know, Ben, you didn't see this one coming. But at this point, I'm like really starting to think that the, the Colts are a still a legitimate contender in the AFC. Yeah, uh, yeah Corey, we, we had an episode where we talked about the two and two teams, which one we're buyers on and which one we're sellers on. And I said that if I could sell every single AFC South team, I would. And if I was forced to choose one, I would have said the Texans. And I probably, I mean, I still probably feel that way just because of how good their playmakers are. But I don't know. The Colts team is really good. I, even And their one flaw or biggest flaw coming into the season was not having Andrew Luck. And, and I've said in the past before that Jacoby Brissett, even though he's a backup, I'm, I'm, I think he's a decent quarterback, and he's showing that right now. And I would probably change my mind on that. That I would say the Colts are probably my favorite team. I just I felt like writing them off a little bit after losing the home, at home to the Raiders. So I'll admit that came into came into play. But then all of a sudden they go on the road and beat the Chiefs. Uh, even though Patrick Mahomes was hurt in that game, their defense stepped up and and their running game stepped up too. And then now this past weekend we saw Brissett. Uh, Brissett and T.Y. Hilton and others um, play really well, and Pascal play really well. So uh, I'm definitely high on their chances of winning this division. Well, yeah, and I'm I'm obviously I'm impressed by the Colts as well, um, especially Jacoby Brissett. But it is criminal the way that Deshaun Watson's teammates prevent him from getting wins uh, because this was a like the way this game ended essentially the way this game is iced was a interception. Deshaun Watson totally threw the game away, right? Wrong. He threw it to Kiki QT's hands, and Kiki QT tipped it into the air so that I think it was Darius Leonard could come down with it. And it's like, ah, that's really disappointing because, you know, provided you don't literally give the ball away to the other team, Deshaun Watson's the type of guy who can get you out of that situation or at least gives you a shot. So, yeah, I was way wrong because they got they lost by seven points. So, like, my choice, my pick this week was garbage. Um, I still feel like Deshaun Watson uh, gives his team a chance. And for, for him to catch another loss in this way where he's on his way to digging his team out of a, out of a hole is, is just, it's disappointing. You can, you can taste the salt in my words here. I absolutely agree with that. I still think the Texans are the best team in this division. I still think that overall they should be able to win this. But 
it's just a, a very disappointing loss to them, especially coming off a win over the Chiefs in Arrowhead. Now they play the Raiders at home this week. They have a chance to get back on the right track. Then they play the Jaguars in London, and then I have a bye. So there's opportunities for Houston to reestablish themselves. But this is, of course, a big win for the Colts. And last year we saw the Colts as a wild card beat the Texans in the postseason. And right now I'm not necessarily thinking that the Colts are any worse with Jacoby Brissett than Andrew Luck. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Colts do make some noise, whether it's as a division winner or a wild card in the playoffs this year. Uh, And it would be interesting to see these two teams play again in that kind of situation just to see can Deshaun Watson get revenge after a bad playoff performance last year and can the rest of this team help support him because on paper Houston should be a legitimate AFC championship contender but there's just so many problems with them. Yeah and just while we're on the topic um of things that the texans always have happened to them or that things always happen with the texans is will fuller has a hamstring injury again and he's out for extended time yep. so it's like we're you know texans are in mid-season form <laughs> it is also mid-season so well, they're right on schedule that's reasonable for them yeah <laughs> i feel like this is even though i like will fuller i feel like it's the same thing every year he has one or two amazing games and then he'll have games where he'll drop multiple touchdowns, and then he'll at some point in the season he'll hurt he'll his hamstring hurt. specifically because he doesn't stretch or something. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he, he, I mean, he hurt his hamstring. He has broken hands. Well, at least on when watching the games, he looks Got like him. he does. But, uh, <laughs> but. <laughs> but yeah, like it, it's, it's disappointing that he got injured. But hopefully, he comes back and maybe the Texans could come on top instead. Yeah, maybe he has one more fourteen catch, two hundred yard, with three touchdown game in him. And then and then combine the rest of the season with the same stats in like the next five games. Yeah, after that's that. what's about to happen. <laughs> Not yeah. even like he's like what five catches for sixty yards in the next five games, assuming he misses three with an injury. So yeah, it's uh, he, he's certainly a frustrating player. I think the Texans have a lot of frustration that's really holding them back, and I just hope that they can get things right, especially while Deshaun Watson is on a affordable rookie contract and while he's young and he still has his his legs and his ability to move around before that offensive line does him in like Andrew Luck in the Colts. So uh, I am certainly hopeful that the Texans can turn things around, but there there's a lot of, a lot of reasons to be skeptical about that team that are way beyond just their talent. So let's, let's uh, wrap things up whilst by sticking in the AFC South as the Jacksonville Jaguars and their defense left the Cincinnati Bengals 0 seven. Jaguars at three and four maybe have some semblance of a of playoff hopes in the AFC, uh, particularly in a division that is still somewhat wide open. So I know this is a big game for you guys because Ben, you had Jacksonville as your lock of the week, while Brian had the Bengals as his upset. Yeah, I'll admit I kind of just picked that one just because I saw Ben <laughs> take him as the lock. So I'm like, you know what? I kind of like the Bengals here. Like, I'm gonna why? Take why would you like the Bengals? <laughs> no, the, uh, the Bengals are so bad. Oh, the Bengals are. Oh, the Bengals are awful. Yeah, I, that game was. I mean, I should have already known that coming in. I already know that they were bad, but I thought they'd be good enough to at least cover the spread against the Jags, uh, since the Jags aren't that much better. But especially after they traded their best corner, uh, and. I, I thought their offense could perform enough to cover the spread, but they're just not. an inept football program. Like uh, Andy Dalton made a argument for why yeah, and, uh, yeah, com- the, their offensive line's horrible. Andy Dalton is a statue in the pocket. 
Uh, I like Tyler Boyd, but I mean, he he hasn't he's been good this year, but I mean, fantasy wise, I guess, but like not enough to help win football games. And then Joe Mixon, he's 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 good, but he has a horrible O line, so he can't do much. And and then their defense has just been killed on the ground. So and yeah, there's really not much else to say. The Bengals are awful, and who knows? Maybe they they might get the first pick. Maybe they they could tank for two. And well, that's what I was gonna say. Is like uh, Andy Dalton made I think maybe the best argument for why Colin Kaepernick should have a job right now this week. You know, various quarterbacks make that argument at certain times. I think his three interceptions in the course of like five minutes uh, made the best argument for it this week. Um, but that that interception, <laughs> that interception where he just tossed it up in the air and then it just landed in the Jags on a Jags player and and he went into the end zone it was such a right terrible but but, play. but my argument only holds up if you're assuming the Bengals want to win football games which they obviously don't the Bengals obviously don't want to win football games they're tanking they want Tua uh and they're going to just continue to lose uh if they keep playing this way and if Andy Dalton continues to be uh you know a turnover machine it's like the same thing with Marvin Lewis. Like, how is he still in the league? I, I've, I've said that for Marvin Lewis when he was coaching the Bengals. I, I, I'm thinking the same thing with Andy Dalton. How is he still the starting quarterback for the Bengals like, after all these years? Was it been like nine, ten, ten years or so that he's been the quarterback? Yeah, Maybe well, Dalton's big thing has always been he, he knows he's not the best quarterback in the league and he would never consider wanting to be paid like it. So he's always given the team a, a contract that makes sense for him, and they've tried to build around him, and they just haven't been able to. And now the, I think the Bengals are in a position where they're going to be moving on from him. So they play the Rams in London this week, so this might be the last time we see Dalton as their starting quarterback. He certainly could be on the, the move at the trade deadline. But regardless, I think that they should give Ryan Finley a shot because at this point they have nothing to lose. They can find out if they have something with their fourth-round pick, and then they could use that top five presumable draft pick on something else uh, i still think that quarterback will end up being their selection if they are picking that high but i i'm almost shocked at how bad the Bengals have been this year because i felt like last season they showed at least a glimmer of hope early on before things totally fell apart for them and i thought zach taylor bringing in a, a sean McVay disciple could maybe spark something in cincinnati and they've just been absolutely dreadful as they're now zero and seven uh, and yeah, the, the, it's a totally lost season for the Bengals. And I, I'm glad that even though the Browns are looking like they can maybe be somewhat competent and uh, good for the next few years, that there's reason to believe the Bengals will take their place at least briefly. Um, on the flip side, how about Jacksonville? Uh, now, Jaguars, certainly their defense was beneficiary in this one. But their offense, the second week in a row where they, they didn't look that great, particularly Gardner Minshew. So less than 50% in back-to-back weeks. He did throw for, I believe, uh, above 200 yards after being below against the Saints. But at this point in time, who if when Nick Foles comes back from his injury, do you think Jacksonville should continue to stick with Minshew? Or is it, are we kind of feeling like Minshew mania is dead and uh, Foles is ready to, to take over and lead this team on their quest to the playoffs? I mean, I, I've always said ride the hot hand. I mean, unless if it was, like, Matt Moore uh, just coming off huge weeks and, like, replacing him over Patrick Mahomes or anything. Like, n- nothing crazy like that. But, uh, but yeah, Minshew's been – he's been really good in some games. But, yeah, like we saw 
we've seen recently, he hasn't been that great. I would go back to Foles, and then the offseason, if there's a team that wants to overpay for either of them, then then get rid of one and go with, go with the other guy. But uh, if, if Foles comes back this season and the Jags still have a decent shot of actually making the playoffs, then I'd go back to Foles. Yeah, I mean... It really frustrated me the way that they were like already stitching together the gold jacket for Gardner Minshew uh, because everybody like the check down bleacher report, like all of the like popular NFL social media accounts just loved this guy. Uh, so it, I felt like I just got oversaturated with Minshew mania, which made me start rooting against him. And while he has been OK, I think you still have to give Foles his his shot he got injured so quickly you i still don't know what i have in nick Foles, right and while Minshew's been playing good he hasn't been winning football games um and i don't know if you can put that all on the quarterback but i think nick Foles deserves his opportunity in this in this uh offense because yeah ride the hot hand but in this case i see it more as like you'd be riding the like lukewarm to like medium hot hand so i think nick Foles. yeah the he guy. hasn't been amazing he hasn't been amazing he's had some good games well yeah i think you need but... to give nick Foles the chance to see if he's the guy and then if things truly fall yeah. apart with him maybe Minshew is the, the you know an option you can go back to i mean at that point your season's probably shot so everything's gonna look hopeless but uh, i i don't know if uh if i would stick with him i think Foles deserves a shot if he's healthy I mean, I, also, if you factor in their record, if, if they don't have any sort of chance of making the playoffs, then I'd probably just stick with Minshew and then just make sure Foles is ready for next season because like, you don't want to risk another injury and rushing him back. So if they're close enough to the playoffs and Foles is healthy enough, then then put him back in. But if they're if they're out of it by week 14 or 15 or whatever it is, then just keep Minshew in there. So... When the Jaguars initially signed Nick Foles, I was not a fan of that contract. I thought four years, $54 million, I believe, uh, was a, a huge commitment for a guy who is, he hasn't been able to show you much outside of a great two or three game sample size at a time. And the fact that he got hurt in his first game makes it look even worse. But if in the next week, before the trade deadline, a team is willing and desperate enough to offer Jacksonville an offer they can't refuse for Nick Foles, I think you take it. And if that doesn't happen, then Nick Foles needs to be your starting quarterback when he comes back because he is making way too much money to be on the bench behind a sixth-round pick who, while he's been a great character, he's made a lot of fun memes with a, uh, the, the kind of player he is, has not proven that he is a legitimate NFL starting quarterback right now. Ideally, Minshew can be that guy for them, and they can reap the benefits of a sixth-round quarterback as their starter for the next four to five years on minimal money. But if that, unless they can find a suitor for Foles, they can't be paying him all that to ride the pine behind this guy. He knew he needs to be the quarterback moving forward, whenever that is. And I think that he's next eligible week 10 or 11, right, when they come off the bye. So I think at that time, uh, Jacksonville will, will be willing to give Foles a shot. But like you said, the record can maybe play a part. But I, I just can't see the Jaguars just not even looking to see what Nick Foles can do for this team. Um, and especially knowing that if he plays well enough, his value could be higher in the offseason for a desperate team. And 
maybe then they can decide, all right, let's just try to build around Minshew and all this salary cap we have. All right, so I think that'll wrap us up for our NFL Week 7 reactions. Uh, We'll certainly be talking more about these teams and other teams as the season goes on, but let's move on to our final segment, and that is the top five. So we have Halloween coming up. It's right around the corner. And to celebrate, we're going to count down our favorite candies in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. All right, so I will get us started with my top five. And at number five, I have Starburst. So Starburst are my favorite candy when I was a little kid. They're actually the only uh, non-chocolate candy I have on my list. I'll still give them a shout out here. Uh, I remember the the joy of opening those little two packs of Starburst after a night of trick-or-treating and finding a pink and a red one and the letdown of finding the orange and the yellow. Uh, personally, I, I enjoy all four of them, but certainly the pink and the red for me are the best, and they're probably the best for you as well. So Starburst number five. And number four, I have cookie dough bites. And I cannot think of a single time in my life where I've eaten cookie dough bites outside of a movie theater. But every time I go to the movies, if I get a concession and cookie dough bites are an option, I'm going to get them. This past Sunday, I finally saw Joker. It took me a couple weeks after it came out, but I made sure to have some cookie dough bites with me in the movies and uh, reminding me again that they're certainly one of my favorite And candies. reminding you that we indeed and, live in a society. Uh, yes, you're, <laughs> you're right. Um, so at, at number three, so uh, I'm a big fan of M&M's in general. But if I had to go just one flavor above the rest, it is peanut butter M&M's. And I just love peanut butter and chocolate. I think it's a great combination. And for me, just being able to get those out of an M&M, I actually have some leftover Easter candy. Uh, I'm not necessarily a, a giant candy fan in the sense that I know that it's not good for me and I can't eat too much of it at once. And uh, doing this countdown reminded me that I had those sitting in the corner of my room and I was able to eat some peanut butter M&Ms last night as I was getting ready for this podcast. So it's number three. Now, three through five was a little difficult for me. I kept going through a lot of different candy options. One and two are... Without a doubt, the easiest top fives that I could probably come up with. And number two, Kit Kat. They have always been awesome. Give me a break of that Kit Kat bar. Just uh, being able to, to bite down in those and having just all the, the rush of the chocolate and the wafers in your mouth. And I just, I love Kit Kats. They're, they're a phenomenal candy. And they would be my number one if... My affinity for peanut butter and chocolate wasn't so high. And, of course, the best chocolate peanut butter candy, the best candy out there, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Those were always the the candy that if if I'm trick-or-treating with friends and we're trading our bags, I will do whatever I can to get as many Reese's Peanut Butter Cups as possible, uh, whether they're just in their simple form, in the Halloween form, and, of course, you have the Christmas tree, the... Uh, the, the heart one for Valentine's Day, uh, the Easter egg one around Easter time. And they're, they're just, they're such a classic candy. And without a doubt, they're the number one. All right. So for my top five, at number five, I went with the Sour Patch Kids. It's pretty simple. Sour, like just like the ads, sour, sweet, and gone. And uh, it's a very tasty candy. And 
Uh, it's one that I would make sure I'd have, like you said, before going uh, to see movies. And the the theater I go to, the AMC theater I go to, there's a dollar store right next to it. And I always make sure that I get the Sour Patch Kids there for a dollar right before I go into the theaters. Smart. Uh, so I went with that as my number five. My number four, I went with Jolly Ranchers. It's basically just a lollipop without a stick. And it's just very, very juicy, very tasty. And my personal favorite one is the grape flavor. But uh, I like all the flavors for Jolly Ranchers. For So that went with that as my number four. My number three, I'm with Twix. I just love the combination of the chocolate, the caramel, and the crunch. My The one drawback for Twix, though, I guess, is if you put it in the fridge, uh, it doesn't taste as great as it is just when you just leave it out there. And when I had the Twix Blizzard, it wasn't as amazing as I thought it would be, but it was still okay. But I'm still a huge fan of Twix uh, in general. So I went with Twix as my number three. And uh, so Corey mentioned that he uh, his three through five was kind of tough to choose from, and it was for me as well. But uh, for one and two, it was no debate. And I have basically the exact same opinion as Corey when it comes to the top twos because my number two is Kit Kat. Um, love Kit Kat, especially when you put it in the refrigerator and then you, then afterwards you eat it. Um, I don't know if Corey, uh, if you eat it in a quirky way, but what I do when I eat Kit Kats is I, I eat the top of it first or I eat the top chocolate part of it first and then I eat the rest of it. Um, yeah, as a kid, I used to like eat the sides off first, just like the, mm-hmm. the small parts of chocolate and then I would mm-hmm. eat the rest of it. Yeah. So I eat the top of it first when, I, I don't know why, it's just a quirky thing i do with kit kats um where i eat the top part first the chocolate part first and then i eat the rest of it and then so i have that as my number two and my number one i went with reese's peanut butter cups they're just mesmerizing and i couldn't live without it and i love I, i love everything about it and i even love the reese's pieces as well and so when i get the peanut butter cups with the pieces combined together, it's it's like I'm in heaven. So the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are by far the best candy out there. So I went with that as my number have one. Have you had the cookie one? I have not. Yeah, that no, one's really good not. too. They, they've been coming out with a lot of cool Reese's ones. Um, and I, I, I like basically anything Reese's, whether it's Reese's Sticks, uh, Crispy Crunchy Bars, uh, and of course like the, the crazy, um, like the the Reese's pieces inside of the, the cookie one. Those are really good. So, yep. So Reese's beer bar cups, best candy out there. My question for you two, cause you both sound like you're, uh, you know, Reese's peanut butter cups experts. I consider myself more of an amateur, uh, Reese's peanut butter cups, uh, enthusiast, but when you eat Reese's peanut butter cups, does this ever happen to you where you lift it off of like the little white, you know, firm piece of paper that's in there and the bottom of the Reese's cup sticks to it and you, you like expose some of the oh, peanut yeah. butter in there. Yeah. 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 Is there any way to avoid that? I feel like I'm missing out on the experience cause I don't have the smooth yeah. bottom. So sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. And I think a lot of times it just has to do with like melting. It's like a little too warm. It gets a, a little too comfortable uh-huh. in the packaging and doesn't want to leave. Another, another uh, candy, like I said with Kit Kat, if you put it in the refrigerator, it's it it's just as yeah, good. Yeah, I agree. That might have to be or the move next time because I recently had some Reese's peanut butter cups and I was like, I don't remember this being part of the experience. And uh, I wanted my money back, but I couldn't resist eating them, so I just ate them anyways. You wanted uh, your money back after that happened? Well, yeah, because obviously it was the this uh, salesman's fault, not mine. They the, the room was too warm. 
I mean, you you only got ninety five percent of the cups. So you had to to get that extra five. Yeah, I need my dollar right? ten cents back. I just um, want to know what that any- conversation would be like if you actually said that. Like, hey, can I get my money back? This is. The, with chocolate the, the around is, my the, mouth. Is, the chocolate is, is a little <laughs> bit uh, on the paper, a little bit too much for me to handle. Yeah. I, you know, when I, when, like you guys know, I mean, like you guys have, I mean, both of you would agree that when I open up a package of Reese's peanut butter cups, I'm expecting the premier candy eating experience. And for me to get some sort of subpar uh, experience, even though I paid full price, I, I would think, in my opinion, it's just, I mean, I thought this was America, you know what I'm saying? So um, I was, I, I just, something that happened to me recently, and I thought of it when you guys uh, brought it up with both of your number ones, but Enough about you guys' lists. It's time for my list. Uh, and I'm going to start with number five um, with Snickers Crisper, okay? Um, crisp rice, milk chocolate, caramel, and peanuts. Now, this is crispy satisfaction, okay, you guys? And that's why it has to be number five on my uh, top five candies. Number four, Snickers Crunchy Peanut Butter, all right? It's Snickers and real crunchy peanut butter. All right, you can't just go anywhere and get real crunchy peanut butter. Okay, Snickers is delivering quality in the form of a delicious peanut butter crunchy Snickers bar here. So that's why it had to be number four on my top five list. Number three, Snickers Extreme. Okay, let me say that one more time for you because I don't want I don't want you to mistake it for something else. Snickers Extreme, and you might be asking, is this a Snickers packed with even more nuts and caramel? <laughs> well, I've got an answer for you. Yes. Yes, it is. And that's why it's number three on my list. And I, I honestly, I'm not always a guy who's reaching for the extreme, but you know there's those days where I'm wearing my hat backwards and I've got, I've got my Oakleys on and I'm reaching for that Snickers extreme, all right? Uh, moving on to my number two, <laughs> you guys know it, it was coming, Snickers original. Packed with roasted peanuts, nougat, caramel, milk chocolate. This is the... Snickers brand handles your hunger, okay? So you can handle all the things in your life that aren't related to hunger at all. Snickers original always satisfies, and that's why it's number two on my top five candies list. And coming in at number one, the highly anticipated, the one to round out my top five candies is Snickers almonds. Okay, I want you to do a little mental exercise with me, all right? Imagine the original Snickers ingredients. Should be easy for you to remember since it was my number two, but I want you to imagine that, okay? Can you see it in your head? Can you see the, uh, the roasted peanuts, the nougat, caramel, and milk chocolate, all right? Now imagine almonds. There you have it. Snickers almonds bar. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, it needs, almonds instead of peanuts? Or? It needs no more explanation, okay? I think you guys, after that mental exercise, I think it's clear to you all what the number one candy bar of all time is, and that's Snickers almonds. If my mic was in my hand, I'd drop it right now, all right? (laughs) We are not sponsored by Snickers. Are you? I was just about to say this podcast is, I was going to say this podcast was sponsored. Guys, I I don't know what you're talking about, but all I can say is I'm satisfied at this top five. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I have a video of you at a, a bar in college where you're just dancing around and then you pull out a Snickers bar and start eating it in the middle of the bar. So I, I should have known that you were a big Snickers fan in that moment. And uh, you, you're, you're definitely not you when you're hungry. So I'm glad that you have all these Snickers to rely on. 
I am disappointed that your peanut butter one is only number four, because that would be my number one Snickers, but I'm glad that it's at least in the top five. Well, it's actually, it's tough to distinguish, you know, all five of these are, are pretty neck and neck, you know, it's really more of a personal preference. The quality, I think, extends to them all. They're all number ones in my book. I have a question for Ben. Uh, if you were in a Snickers commercial, who would be the famous person that replaces you uh, before you, he gets oh changed my gosh. into you? I mean, it's v- the, very obviously Ray Romano. Uh, <laughs> but I would also, I would also love to just re- like if they were to remake a popular Snickers commercial, I would love to. Get, well, I would love to get dunked on by Patrick Chewing. That was probably my favorite Snickers commercial of all time. It's just so bizarre. This guy just walks out onto a basketball court and is opening a Snickers bar. And he looks up. He's like, Patrick? And then Patrick Ewing is like, what's up, Ryan? Yeah! And dunks on him and breaks the the, the freaking hoop and crashes down on him. And honestly, that is the flavor uh, power of every single bite of a delicious bar of Snickers. So honestly, uh, I'd be honored to just be a part of any Snickers commercial with any celebrity. Was that a Super Bowl commercial? I don't think so. Maybe it was. But I'm, I've definitely heard you talk about Patrick Chewing before, and I feel like it was during our there, there Super Bowl special. There have been plenty of Snickers commercials that came out during the Super Bowl, like the Betty White one. When it's she an gets old tackled one. And, and, yeah. and tackle football. Like that was a Super Bowl one. And I, the Johnny I, Manziel one was a Super Bowl one. I guarantee, if you were to uh, Google it, it would come up because uh, I remember, like back Snickers in the day, is pretty, Snickers is pretty popular during the Super Bowls. Yeah, I can't. I don't know. I can neither confirm nor deny if the Patrick Chewing one is a Super Bowl one, but it's definitely my favorite Snickers commercial. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure that it is, and that you said it was your favorite Super Bowl commercial um, in a previous episode. So, I guess we can do a plug. If uh, oh, you don't know what happened in Super Bowl Fifty Three, well, I've got uh, bad news for you because the Patriots won. But you can go listen to hear what we had to say about that if you scroll and far enough back. So, all right, that'll wrap up today's episode. Uh, Like I said, we're definitely going to come back with some more NFL reactions as the season goes on. We'll probably talk talk more basketball, more baseball. We're in the middle of the World Series. Nationals are up one to nothing. Brian, who you got winning the rest of this one? I'll still lean with the Astros, even though the Nationals won game one. I think think the Astros are better from top to bottom, especially their bullpen, even though the Nationals bullpen did well, as did better than the Astros yesterday, uh, I, I still like I still like the Astros top to bottom. They're the best team in baseball. What do you think, Ben? I have no opinion on baseball, but I did watch the Battle of L.A. last night, and I'm hype about it. You know, the- Dallas Keuchel, if he was still in Houston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah. <laughs> um, no, the, the Battle of L.A., like NBA is back, and uh, it was awesome staying up way too late to watch Quiet Leonard destroy the Lakers. So um, it was uh, it was epic. I'm excited to watch more basketball. Yeah, very disappointed that Zion is out six to eight weeks and we didn't get to see him last night. But Celtics starting tonight against the Sixers. Uh, I'm also with you, Brian, going back to the World Series. I think Houston and six was my prediction going into this one with Washington winning one of the first two. So I'm going to stick with that. I'll go, I'll go Houston seven. But all right, so... Uh, for Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells, I'm Corey Botney. Thanks, everyone.